Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Colossians 3, 18-21. Paul having already called the church as a whole to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, he now directly calls specific groups of people to submit to Christ by submitting to others in their lives. Let's hear today's message. I'd like to invite you to raise your hand if, on your way to church this morning, you passed an orange construction cone or barrel. (laughs) I think every hand should be up, right? Even Dan up here, who lives just on the other side of the street, probably passed six uh, cones, if, if not more. It is a mess in Maumee. Of course, you know that. If you're watching online, you, you might not be aware, but Maumee is under construction with at least a half a dozen projects going on all at the same time. And I'll, I'll let you in on a little bit of a, a secret. I was given... Uh, the privilege of sitting with city leaders a couple of years ago uh, as they kind of shared these plans and, and helped some of us recognize not only what they wanted to do and why and what the outcome would be. And I'll tell you, I know it's a lot, but I'm excited. I think there's going to be some really cool things that come on the other end of this. And, and so I've been a really big advocate of it. Even as I uh, am positive and advocate for it, I, I hear some of you complaining, right? You're pretty frustrated. I get it. I get it. Yeah, you're frustrated. I haven't said much when, 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 I, when you say that around me. I mean, I, I kind of get it. But I, I'll, I, I just, I mean, we're in a time of confession, right? So I'll confess when you're complaining. There's a big part of me that is going, what a bunch of whiners. Right? Come on. It's not that big of a deal. That is until this past week. I was leaving my house, going over to the high school. If you don't know me, we have four kids. Two of them are still in high school. It is our second home. Fall sports are starting, and so we're over there at least a couple of times a day, uh, making pickups, dropping off, doing all of those types of things. I left my house, went down River Road, made a right on Michigan Avenue, which is really the only good way to get to Mommy High School, and then I hit this. I, I, what? Seriously? They, right, right, exactly, exactly. I hit this intersection that interfered with my life. They have closed it. There was no notice. Well, they actually gave notice that it would be coming in a couple of weeks, and I guess they're ahead of schedule. They just closed it. And there's no other way for me to efficiently go to the high school. It's at least five or ten minutes out of my way, and so I noticed something take place in my spirit. I, who was understanding and patient about all of this construction, was now tempted to be frustrated and judgmental, and yes, as Bonnie already said, whine about all of this was going on. 
Because see, here's, here's the reality. It's easy to trust and be patient when little is required of you, right? I mean, with all the construction going on, probably the easiest route in Maumee is still right down River Road. There is almost nothing uh, hindering me getting from my house to the church. So I'm going, what's wrong with you people? But the minute it began to require a personal sacrifice from me, well, now, now the one to whom I really submit is revealed. And my willingness to submit to authority is exposed. And I had to fight back on that. There's going to be a similar shift as we uh, continue on in the letter to the Colossians this morning. If you're not aware, uh, we as a church have been going through the book of Colossians all summer long. And we have, for the most part, at the beginning of the letter, been talking about things that are generally true in a theological or philosophical way. Kind of like last week when, when Landon preached. I thought he did an excellent job. And he lifted up the main idea of the text he was preaching from and said, uh, that, that text said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now raise your hand if you felt your spirit object to that command. Nobody does. You didn't. Not really. You, you might recognize, oh, that's hard, but you don't go, hey, wait, how dare you, right? Nobody objects to a theological general principle like that, even though, as you might recognize, it's a call to submit to the lordship of Jesus if we're going to let the peace of Christ rule. But today, we move from this kind of general command to a much more in-your-face and specific command uh, from Scripture. As we do, as this call to submit is now in your face, like that intersection was mine or the road, road closed sign, I want, you to, I want you to be continually noticing your own spirit. For I bet your spirit will go, wait a minute... You may go from a place of patience to tempted frustration or understanding to tempted judgment. When that happens, let's all together ask God to help us. Help us submit to the Word and the Spirit. Help us to reserve judgment right away and seek to hear from God so that He indeed might practically rule over our lives together. For indeed, that's the only way that the, the true hope of glory will rule amongst us. Remember the theme verse all summer long, that it is Christ in you, or as Landon said last week, y'all, that is the hope of glory. So it is we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. And then we will look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Hopefully you have the scripture journals. If not, I invite you to open up the Pew Bible. The, the wording will be slightly different, but still better to follow from there than nowhere at all. As you're turning, allow me to pause and pray. Well, Lord Jesus, it, it is hard when we move from general commands to this place where it feels like your name and names. 
Would you help us to approach your word with a submissive spirit? To not come with the presumption that we understand or know what's right, but instead to allow your word to rule as authority over our lives. And to allow your spirit to speak and prompt and remind so that each of us might know you more personally, surrender our lives to you again, and in so doing, uh, take hold of the life that is indeed true life, the life that you promise will be undergirded by peace and joy and hope as Jesus is glorified. It's in that name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, once again, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Allow me to read it for you. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you just lied when you said that, I think. This is a tough passage. Amen? Who would like to preach instead of me? But it's God's word. It's critical that we root commands like these in the whole context of the letter. And so I want to take a little bit of time to remind us of the the path we have traveled already. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that is very young. Most of those who make up the church are new to the faith and still trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus together. And so at the outset of the letter, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12 specifically, if you're making notes in your journal, Paul outlines some of his goals for the church and by extension for this letter. Look at those verses and and listen to the way at least I've paraphrased them as we remember what, what is he trying to do? What is he asking God to do in the lives of these people? He's asking that they would develop a greater spiritual understanding and knowledge of God's will. He's he's asking that the people would learn to live in a manner that pleases God more and more. He's hoping that, that, that the church, the people that make up the church will be strengthened because they're going to go through some hard things and he wants to strengthen them so that they're able to endure and not just endure but endure with a patient hope. And finally, he wants to nurture the spirit of gratitude within the church so that regardless of what they face, they might be able to be thankful because they know how it ends. And they have the promise of heaven and eternal life and Jesus' kingdom. If you're letting your eyes scan those verses, does that seem like an accurate summary of what he's, he's hoping for? Understanding of God learning to live in a manner that pleases God, strengthened in our faith and and nurtured in gratitude. Can I suggest to you that that's the very same thing you want? 
Is that not the reason that you come to worship and that you share in the life of the church? Do you not want to grow to know God more and more? Do you not want to learn what it means to live uh, in a manner pleasing to him? Do you not want to be strengthened in your faith because you know hard times are coming? Do you not want to learn to be grateful in all circumstances? Is that right? So this letter is for us. It's not just for people 2,000 years ago. These are Paul's goals. These are God's goals for us. And so we ask, how are they achieved? And if you looked at those verses, 9 through 12, you see that the very next verse, chapter 1, verse 13, tells us how. These things are achieved not by placing focus on ourselves or our behavior. Anytime we enter into a sermon like we are this morning, where it starts with something like, wives, submit to your husbands, we are in danger of thinking, oh, this life we share together is about my behavior. No, 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 no. We have to root that in the context of the whole letter. Look at verse 13. This happens not by focusing on us, but on Jesus. For he has delivered us. The gospel is always about he, not about me. Anytime you catch yourself going, I need to do this, or I think this, or I, 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 you're off track. For the good news of the gospel always starts with him and what he has done for us. And so chapter 1 continues to that high and beautiful Christological explanation of who Jesus is, beginning at verse 15. Remember that? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the author of creation. He is before all things. And he is the head of the church. It's all about him. Recognizing that, Paul then goes, all right, so how? How did he... Reconcile us. How did he call us together as, and make us part of his body? How did he bring us into the place of salvation? Chapter 1, verse 20. He made peace by the blood of his cross. He reconciled in his body of flesh by death. Verse 22. Or if we're going to use words from the passage we're looking at this morning, it's important to see he who had every right to demand our perfect allegiance and complete devotion, submitted himself. Do you ever think about that? I mean, that's what this letter's helping us recognize. That the God of the universe, who could not be seen or contained by the most powerful telescope ever created, confined himself within human flesh. And he didn't stop there. He didn't make himself some godlike war man, but a lowly human being, born as a baby, into poverty, called to submit to all of the terrible things that humanity goes through. And he didn't stop there. Falsely accused, 
He was tortured as he hung on a cross naked before the world. Could you imagine the humiliation? Friends, before we even begin to consider this word submit as it is relevant to each and every one of us, let us first recognize it was Jesus himself, the God of heaven, who submitted himself to the Father for our sake that we might be saved. It starts with him. And so it is Jesus himself who calls to us. Expressed in the Gospel of Luke, here's the verse, whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny themselves, submit, and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But don't forget that promise. Whoever loses their life, whoever submits themselves to others for my sake, they're going to save it. This is the context that we have to keep in mind as we're looking at the specific call, the in-your-face road construction sign that was calling to each of us this morning. The passage we just read would be considered one of the household codes in the New Testament. There are multiple household codes. In Colossians and Ephesians especially, and so if you're taking notes, you might write, check out Ephesians chapter 5, because Ephesians 5 and this passage in Colossians are very similar, and you will be uh, helped by looking at both of them together. But we'll also see household codes in Paul's letter to Timothy and Titus and in, and in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter as well. Why? Because it's really, really important that our, that our faith is manifest, not in general theological expressions, but in the way we actually live together. What good is our faith if it just stays theoretical? And so Paul and God, uh, through his word, lift up this reality that as we are called together as the church, more often than not, we are called together as families. Yes, some of you have come as individuals, but, but a large majority in the ancient world and yet still today of families come together and make up the church. And so the way you relate to one another as a family or household influences the life of the church. And what we believe and teach as a life of the church should influence the household. It's really important. I mean, just as a, as a supporting thought on that, you might write down Acts 16, 15. I'm not going to read it, but it's one of many occurrences in the book of Acts where somebody comes to faith. In this particular case, it's a woman named Lydia. Lydia comes to faith, and she and the members of her household all together are baptized into the life of the church. It's really interesting. And so here we have commands uh, to the household. Now the household commands are broken into three kind of couplets. 
both here and in Ephesians and in other places. There's the, the relationship between husband and wife, parents and children. Both of these we're going to look at more closely this morning. And then there's also masters and servants or slaves. For in the ancient world, many people had slaves and even more, more of the people were slaves. Now we'll talk about this next week and the week after. Uh, but it'll be fascinating, I think. For in two weeks, we're going to pause from this and look at another letter, just a one-chapter letter, the letter of Philemon in the New Testament. For Philemon was a slave owner in this church. And Paul is going to send his runaway slave Onesimus back to him, but now not as a slave, but as a brother in the faith. And so it's a fascinating opportunity to think about that. But, but, but today is just about husbands and wives, parents and children. And we're going to get real practical. In fact, somebody in the Bible study said, hey, why does Paul pick on wives? Right? Why does he start there? And so let's think about that. As we try to understand what God is telling us through this passage, I want you to adopt first kind of a historical and cultural lens that might bring some understanding to the passage, but then we're not going to stop there, for there is a divine lens we want to use as well. That is to say, there are some things that are relevant only to uh, culture as Paul was writing to 2,000 years ago, but there are other things that transcend culture, transcend history. So let's look at it closely. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, I'm going to suggest parents, do not provoke your children. Do you notice that every particular person in view here is called to put, quote, the other above themselves? Now, different verbs are used, but it's really a similar call. Submit, love, obey, don't provoke. This call is important for multiple reasons, but one of the most important things is, is, is it reveals who you believe is actually in charge. Our willingness to submit to others in our life reveals the depth to which we trust that Jesus is in charge. I want to show you Ephesians 5, not only to illustrate that point, but also to help us recognize how the church has gotten this so wrong for so long. Because the church so often has said, well, wives, you're supposed to submit, but men, you're good, right? Women, give me an amen on that, right? Amen, right, right. Let me show you how this happens. Um, I'm going to pick on somebody, not in the front, but in the back, right? So you're afraid to sit in the back. Yeah, I saw you, Chuck. I'm picking on you. Chuck and Carla. Married how many years? 37. You had to check. You had to check with her on that? Okay, all right, all right. So 37 years, Chuck and Carla have been married. Have you ever had an argument? No, no, of course not. Imagine Chuck and Carla are, yeah, imagine they are in deep, deep conflict. Now, I mean, we're all laughing, but if, you're, if you've been married for any length of time, 
You know, the ones that hurt really bad. You feel neglected, betrayed, all of that. If you've been married any length of time, you've experienced it, right? So they get in this desperate spot. Hey, they're members of First Presbyterian Church forever. So they're like, well, maybe the Bible has something, something to say about this. They're not exactly sure to where to go. And so they, like lots of people, just start doing this number, right? And by, by God's blessing and leading in the Spirit, imagine if they landed on Ephesians chapter 5. Here's an image of it on the screen, right? So they land on Ephesians chapter 5. They see the subheading, wives and husbands. Well, that looks like it might help. All right. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. To which Chuck goes, see? Right? Chuck, husbands, don't do that. Don't do that. See, here's the thing. God's word is a gift. God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. But sometimes God's word gets put in the hands of well-meaning, fallible people who put in subheadings where they ought not be. Do you notice the verse above that subheading? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the main command in this whole passage. Everything that follows submits itself to that. And yet, in the, in the, those who put together this version of the Bible separated the two. And that so often people will just start at verse 22. The call to every Christian is to submit themselves as an act of worship to Jesus. Because he submitted himself. Again, in our context, think about it. When we said, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, is that not a call to submit? Right? Same thing. We are all called to submit. And our willingness to submit reveals the depth to which we actually trust Jesus. So, I still haven't answered. Well, why is he picking on women? Not women. Why is he picking on wives? Well, think about it. Something radical happened when Jesus came into the world and, and the church was formed. In the first century, as is today, there was all sorts of, of layers of people. Some people were important. Some people were unimportant. Some people were, had great power. Some people had no power. But when Jesus came, he put everybody on a level. Everybody has the same value. Everybody creating the image of God has the same worth. There is not one person who is more or less important than another. We've already seen this. Colossians 3.11, if you've got your journal, just look back, right? We were reminded here in the church, there is not Greek and Jew we're not going to separate ourselves that way. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised. No way. Not barbarian, not Scythian, not slave, not free, but just Christ, who is, who is uh, all and in all. That's not an exhaustive list. If you go to Galatians, for example, here's, a, here's another list that is more relevant to our passage right here. Nope, not that one. Galatians. No, you're good. You're good. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, we heard that, neither slave nor free, heard that, nor is there male and female. Ah. Meaning, men are not more important than women. For you are all one in Christ. See, here's what happened. As the church is forming, these are not people who come um, ignorant of their own society. They're bringing their, their society with them and, and this kind of sense that, oh, I'm more important than you. And no, not here. Well, if you're somebody who has always been considered less than, and according to the household codes, who would these be? Women, wives, children, slaves, right? And then you hear this? What's the temptation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the game is on. I'm going to be heard now, right? I'm going to stand up. I'm going to insist on my rights. I'm going to throw my weight around. I'm going to and bring chaos into both the family and the church. And maybe more important, contradict the very call of Jesus to submit in reverence to Christ. No, what I want you to see is the call to, to wives and the call to children and next week the call to servants is to basically continue to trust Jesus and live as you have been. Trust him. Live as you have been. It's not a radical thing. We look at it from a modern view and go, whoa, this is kind of the normal, just keep going and trust Jesus. The radical part of this is the call to people who have power, who are husbands, parents, masters. Do you notice that? Look at the call to husbands. Husbands love your wives. Again, this is not the hallmark card sentimental, it's sweet and sounding, but good for nothing type of love. This is agape love. The love that Jesus demonstrated for his church, his bride. A love that caused him to lay down his life to serve his bride, to forgive over and over and over again, to lead in that manner. Men, that's what we're called to. That's a radical call. Because in the ancient world, and in the world in some countries today still, it's all about the men. Women stay home, cover up, all of that. And there's a degree to which that's still true in our world, our society right here, right? This is a call to lead your wives to exercise the strength you have been given, not by dominating, not by making all the decisions, but by serving and laying down your life. As Ephesians says more clearly, Ephesians 5.25, there you go, Stephen. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? By taking the initiative in submission. Think about it. In the book of Romans, we're told, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While, we're still, while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling, 
Can I, can I share what I taught college students just so I could connect, right? While we were still giving God the finger, Christ died for us. And husbands, this is the way you're supposed to love your wife. That in that moment of conflict that really never probably came for Chuck and Carla, but it did in my marriage. Men, we're called to submit first. And then women, yes, you're called to submit too. So I want you to think about the, the power that you have. It doesn't end there with husbands and wives. Of course, there's a call here in verse 21 to fathers. I really think if, if you're following me now, you understand why I think that should be now fathers and mothers, because this is about power within society, and whereas then it was the fathers, but now it's fathers and mothers have authority or power over their children. How do you use that? I'm grateful for many things about my, the household in which I grew up, but there was an aspect where I grew up in the house where it, it was run by the children should be seen and not heard philosophy. Ouch. How do we seek to serve our children? I mentioned I go to the high school a bunch. Well, both of my high school age kids are playing sports, and so the state requires a meeting of all the parents. So I'm sure it happened in Perrysburg, Anthony Wayne, others too. So everybody, that mean, the auditorium is full, so the athletic director can essentially go over the rules and say, quit yelling at refs, right? Don't be harsh with coaches, all of those things, which everybody tunes out, of course. But then he said something that got me in the heart. He said, you know, you know the hardest time for young athletes? It's often in the car ride home after the event where mom or dad run through the list of things that little Johnny or little Susan could have done better. I went, oh, gosh. Because I've done that. This is one of the first time I've heard it. I think I've gotten a little bit better, but I still acknowledge in the desire to lift up my son or daughter. Sometimes I end up serving myself, for I want them to perform. I want them to make me proud. I want, can't do that. All right. Well, that's all the human lens. The divine one won't take as long, but it's just as important. Do you notice that not everything about what we've read can be dismissed by kind of cultural perspective or historical reality? There are phrases in verse 18, as is fitting in the Lord, or verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Phrases that suggest there are some principles here that transcend culture. God does not change. Jesus does not change. And so those things that please him do not change. What is that? Well, the Bible would suggest that it is the notion that God has established human authority and order to bring about His divine will in the world. You would think that's an obvious statement, but in the world we're living in today, I think it's in question. But God has established authorities 
to bring his will into the, into the world, to, to forsake our divine responsibility, if we're put in one of those positions of authority, is to invite chaos and pain into our families and into the church. And so, yes, the Bible does teach men, you are strengthened to lead your wives and families, but only in the way of Jesus, to love and serve them sacrificially. Parents, you have been given the authority to serve and lead your children. Do not forsake that. All of us, all of us, play a part in these divinely established relationships within the world. And so as we begin to bring this to an end and approach the table, I want to I get practical and have you think about your place in those relationships. Sometimes you are the person who is called to submit to one who has been placed in authority over you, believing that ultimately Jesus is in charge and he's got it. Others will go, oh, I see I have been granted authority or responsibility, but not for my own sake, but to, to serve Jesus and to do so by serving others. And so I want you to think, as I, as I list these contexts, what's true for you in the workplace? Can you write down the name of somebody that God has placed above you that you're called to submit to? And maybe it's hard. Eh. They're an idiot, you know. But God has placed them there. In the workplace, has God empowered you to lead or to exercise authority? If so, how are you doing it? Are you building yourself up? Trying to demand your own way? Or are you laying down your life to serve those entrusted to you? How about in, this, in school, if you're a student? I sat here a lot in the first service, but I'll pass that one. How about in the family? Do you recognize the power God has given you and the way you're called to exercise that? Do you recognize God's call to submit? Especially where it's hard. How about here in the life of the church? Ooh, now we're getting. Who has God given authority to? And how are you using it? And do you recognize who you are called to submit to? Not because they got it all figured out, but because Jesus has placed them there. How about within our nation and our community as you drive by these orange barrels? What's happening in your spirit? You know, that mayor's an idiot. No. That mayor's placed there by God. Are you willing to submit? And if you lead in the city, are you, are you willing to lay down your power for the sake of Jesus. 
For here's the reality. The world, <laughs> the whole world is under construction. That God is in the process of redeeming and renewing his world. And not just the world, but every individual person is under construction. We are like orange barrels to one another. And when we get close in relationship to each other, there is this potential to frustrate and offend and hurt. But I think that's why God calls us close to the table. And he places himself at the head. And he says, look, I got this. Follow me. Submit to one another. And in so doing, you will experience Christ's peace ruling in your heart. As we come to the table together, may that indeed be our desire. And may we recognize those places where we, where we resist submission. We recognize them as a failure to trust Jesus to the degree he's worthy. And may we ask his help to believe more and more. Let, let's pray as we do that. Lord Jesus, we do give thanks. As we seek to follow you as the church you have anointed, appointed in this place, we recognize this call to submit to one another. Jesus, you're the one who did it first, and we are so thankful. We are in awe of the way you laid down your life. As we reflect on that together, in the sharing of this sacrament, would you help us to lay down our life for each other as you call us to? Forgive us those moments we have resisted. We give thanks for your forgiveness and the message of the gospel. Lead us with assurance and strength by your Spirit. And fill us, Holy Spirit, as we come to this table would you so enliven these very common elements, bread and juice, so that they become to us the very body and blood of Christ, strengthening us for the life you've called us to together. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.